Hello, you're listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. We are a general interest independent bookstore located in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles, California. This year, because of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had to close our store and cancel in-person events. But Skylight is your neighborhood bookstore, and we are finding ways to create community even while we're far apart. In the coming weeks, we'll be putting out lots of new audio content to help you discover new books, connect with authors, and check in with your favorite booksellers. To learn more about how you can help keep Skylight alive, please visit our website at skylightbooks.com or check out our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Hello, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Skylit. This is the Skylight Books podcast series, and I'm your host, Maddie Gobo. Um, we are going to have a great chat today about some a new short story collection by Rebecca Fischau. And um, she's going to be in conversation with John Colasacco. But first, I wanted to just say a few words um, about the store. So, you know, it's been a wild one, <laughs> a wild year. We've, we've made it almost all the way through. If you're listening to this, it's probably 2021. Congratulations, you made it. Um, the store is still open. Amazingly, we made it through this year. I don't know how, with a lot of work, <laughs> a lot of hustle. Um, but yeah, we are open for in-store shopping uh, and curbside pickup. Uh, 11 to 7 on weekdays and 10 to 8 on weekends. We also have online shopping available on our website, skylightbooks.com, 24-7, and we will be happy to ship books to you anywhere in the U.S. So check us out. All right, so I'm going to introduce our book today. It's called The Trouble with Language. It's a short story collection. Weaving together fabulous invention and gritty realism, the trouble with language unearths stories of men and women whose traumatic experiences make way for dazzlingly cerebral lives. A young man finds a severed head at his door years after his mother takes her own life. A married couple initiates a bloody jailbreak. A woman poses nude for strangers in attempts to pay for mental health treatment, while another finds herself rapidly shrinking in a hotel room. No two of these surprising and playful fictions are alike, and each encourages us to peek behind life's curtains to discover more bizarre, enchanting, and joyful truths. The author of the collection is Rebecca Fischau. Rebecca, am I saying your last name right? I want to make sure I'm getting it right. You are. You have it exactly right. Perfect. Okay, well, let me do your full bio now, give you the official intro. Rebecca Fischau is the author of the chapbook, The Opposite of Entropy. Her work has appeared widely in print and online, including publications in Tin House, Quarterly West, Joyland, and Smoke Long Quarterly. She holds an MFA in fiction from Syracuse University. She lives in Maryland with her husband and teaches creative writing. In conversation with Rebecca today is John Colasacco. John Colasacco's books include The Wagners, The Information Crusher, Two Teenagers, and Anti-Golf. That's how I feel about golf. He received an MFA in creative writing from Syracuse University and is a recipient of the Iowa Review Award in Poetry. Follow his ongoing poem on Instagram at Poems for Brands. John, you're going to have to tell us more about this ongoing poem in a little bit. Um, but welcome to the podcast, Rebecca and John. I'm so happy to have you. Happy to be here. Thank you. Yes, thank you. All right. So, Rebecca, do you want to start us off with a reading from the collection? 
Sure. So this is a short story book and there are um, longer stories and then really, really tiny flash fiction length. And I thought I would just string together a couple of the flash pieces and I'll start at the first one and then just jump around a bit. All right. Last Sunday, I nearly ran over your dog. I couldn't have done it without you. Why wasn't he secured in the yard? Why wasn't he tethered by some kind of leash to some kind of tree? I admit I had been looking down at the time, rummaging for something below the passenger seat, for a map, a lost love letter, my own severed hand. It seems I am always looking down. On the good days, I am rummaging too. Last Sunday was not a good day, despite the rummaging. I do not know if life is precious. I do not know who gets to choose what lives and what dies. Your dog lived, another dog died. Later that day, I came out of my apartment and because I had been looking down, I saw it lying on the empty patio of a French restaurant. He was still safe for the slightest tide of his fleeting breath. His eyes were open. They had become two landing strips for flies. Underneath his tail, a small brown splotch, a wet spot on the concrete around his body widened. I called my lover who rushed home to help, but he could not help the dog and he could not help me. I could not help him. Funny how we felt like help was what we needed. I am not doing a lot of living these days. Living requires a name. I've misplaced mine somewhere. I'm still searching though, beneath the passenger seat where I could not find my severed hand. None of this is your fault, however. I implore you, please be more careful. A tall, thin man came to the city. He crossed a bridge in the middle of the darkest night of the year. The moon had eaten itself three days ago and the crumbs left over looked like weak stars. Sadness had crept in to the cracked brains of the people here, the way a building softens at the corners. I had packed my bags and was carrying my suitcase to the bus station, but the sight of the man halted me. I turned around, went home, wondered about the nature of hope. In the morning, the tall man went door to door, passing out gifts. He said, these gifts are your new moons. He gave an old woman a set of salt and pepper shakers shaped like clones. He gave a little boy a Native American headdress. He gave me a pair, he gave a pair of newlyweds a long rope ladder. He gave me a tall coat rack with brass hooks. To each person, he spoke the very same words. You are living in my dream. By noon, a crowd assembled around the fountain in front of City Hall. The tall man stood at the center of the crowd as though he were a planet and the people were his moons. The people all held their gifts like weapons and the old woman threw her salt and pepper shakers at his head. The little boy held his headdress around the man's neck. The newlyweds whipped him with a rope ladder. I waited, clutching my coat rack for somebody to stop me. By the end of the day, the man had gone black and we all cried, our grief was so deep. Along the bottom of the fountain, tiny wildflowers grew. Some were purple, some were so yellow we mistook them for gold. I knew that I would miss them. I went home and found my suitcase still packed, still full of gifts I would one day give to other people in some other city far away I would never understand.
At the corner store, patrons were making love transactions, swapping money for the largest quantities of affection they could hurl over their shoulders and haul away. I didn't have any money and love, who knows, but the people looked so happy or else sad, I couldn't tell. It was so windy outside we could hardly stand. We pressed our bodies into an invisible wall. Then the rain came, then the snow. Then displaced objects began to fall from the sky, telephone booths and abacuses, dryer sheets and prisoners of war. We covered our faces with our arms, hoped for the best, for life to continue, for whatever we already had. We stood blinded that way until all the mad weather simply stopped. Thankful, we set a picnic tables and red checkered blankets out on the road in front of the corner store. We forced the cars to honk and go around. We ate up all the love that had been bought, then stuffed on our feast, waddled back to our own homes. I didn't sleep well that night. My body ached in ways I never knew it could. I couldn't settle down, so I turned on a lamp. The light filled every corner of the room. It had a strange, expansive quality, as though it would just keep going if I took a sledgehammer to the walls. To calm myself, I tried to a form of meditation. With each inhale, I imagined sucking in a puff of clean white air. With each exhale, I expelled thick black clouds of dust. Let the good in, let the bad out, let the good in. I couldn't sustain the rhythm very long. Who was I to hoard all the good? to send my black pain off like a forgotten daughter. I closed my eyes and felt a certain sense of hopelessness, thankful for the walls, for my own tiny world of love. And I'll stop there. Thank you, Rebecca. That line about the moon eating itself three days ago is so good. Thank you. <laughs> and very appropriate for having come through two eclipses in the last couple of weeks. Very true, yeah. <laughs> um, well, before I hand this over to John, I just wanted to uh, situate our listeners in, in space. So could you tell us where you are in the larger scheme of things and then maybe within your, your own space, your own house? Okay. Um, in the larger scheme of things, I'm on Earth and I am in Maryland, Frederick, Maryland, which is about an hour west of D.C., I'm sitting in the second floor of my apartment with my cat sleeping right on a chair next to me. And yeah, it's Thank pretty you. cozy. <laughs> What's your cat's name? Harvey. Harvey. Yeah. Nice. John, where are you in the world? Uh, well, I'm, I'm also on Earth and I'm <laughs> in uh, my attic of my house. Uh, and if it was, you know, if this weren't a podcast, you'd be able to see the rafters and the, you know, that there's like bat remains and things like that. Uh, I'll give you, you know, I'll give you a tour around, but it's not going to make any sense. But yeah, this is my, this is where I work and teach and stuff like that. So it's my um, main space. Are there like active bats in your space right now? No, no, there's just the one bat. I leave him there to keep the other bats out. I'll give you like a little tour around here. It's sort of like, you know, I had one night, I had a real bad bat night where one bat after another, uh, but it was, it, it was an infestation and, I didn't realize that I had like three, four or five bats going at once. It was like, you know, when I first started working up here and there are these little joists where they, they hang out like right up in the corner. And so they'll get up in that little corner and the bat will recede into it, like try and protect itself. 
And so like my fart, my, my heart finally stopped. You got to get your editor on that one. When my heart <laughs> finally stopped pounding, I was like, oh, the bat's right there. I can just make an example of him with my broomstick. And so I get the one and then I'm like, wait a minute, was it just one? And then in every one of these choice for a while, there was a bat. And so uh, the first three, just like I got them and then they fell down and I get rid of them. But the last one stuck up there and I was like, I'm not, I'm not fishing it out. When I was a kid, we had like all these animals in the upstairs of our house where I lived because there was like rafters and like little doors and I don't know, lots of animals came in. But there was so there were bats that lived in the window and I used to I, I've always had trouble sleeping and I used to love like watching them fly like in and out of my window, <laughs> like um, not inside the house, like going away. But also we had like little squirrels everywhere. It was weird. My mom hated it, but I loved it. It's weird how like these animals are like fun when you're a kid and they become such a nuisance when you're an adult. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So you would see them like on a regular basis, almost like they were part of the family. Kind of. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had some animal critters, but alas, I just have to envy my neighbor's pets. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, well, John, I'm going to let you kind of take it away from here, um, but I will come back at the end and uh, I'll be listening the whole time. Great. Thank you. Um, yeah, so th and thanks for having us on, I guess. Uh, and Becca, thank you for uh, thinking of me to do the conversation because I've never, other than like job interviews and stuff, I've never participated in an interview in any way. And so I'll just <laughs> say that right up front. Or podcast neither but uh like an interview is a totally new medium well, for me. i'm so sure I'm you amazing you uh, well sorry i was just gonna say i think that we have somewhat of a, a similar aesthetic in some ways so i thought i thought we could really jive and um yeah i'm used to being on the other side because i used to be in journalism so i was interviewing people like every day and <laughs> for some reason that seems I don't know, almost less scary to me. <laughs> I was going to say, if there are any questions you would just like to like ping at me and then you just go right ahead and answer them. They do that on the nervous breakdown. I have the self-interview. I feel like that's the best. That's probably the best way to do it. You just ask you, what would I ask myself? And then what would I say? And it's very, uh, it gets very far afield that way, which I like. Yeah, I'll keep that in mind. I do but I do have, I didn't, I'm not like unprepared. I got your book. I have it close to hand and I've been reading it and it's like probably the best thing I've read in recent memory it was so good and uh I'm trying to think of like like what like where to take that but it's been uh <clears throat> it's just been a weird reading year for me it's like basically the only like full length I, I guess I'll just say up front it's like the only full length book I read this year Interesting. which is weird it was weird because I couldn't take I like and I remember then here's why it's so painful at points that I was like, I was, I was watching different types of TV. I was watching different types of everything. I was just kind of like being very escapist all the time, which is not, you know, usually I'm like, oh, what? You would just, you would be escapist with your entertainment. Yeah. That, that just shows you what, that just shows you what you're made of. You know what I mean? Is my <laughs> usual. Attitude. But I really couldn't take it. Like I could like shows that in things and you know, me and my wife would watch that. We'd be like, you know what? People were rewatching things. People were going back to like the most bland, you know, this actually it wasn't always rewatching because I still don't really like to do that but it was more like things that I knew were gonna be soft around the edges. So yeah. and this book is not that, I guess I would say. Uh, would you agree with that? Well, I, no, I don't think this book is soft around the, edge, <laughs> the edges. And I wasn't <laughs> even sure if it would be like good 
um, pandemic reading uh, um, because like I've been the same way. I've been kind of, I've been having a harder time as a reader lately um, and I'm not really sure why, but I've been kind of gravitating to less heady stuff, I guess, or less serious stuff um, just to try to get away from, from things. But I don't know, it's weird time. So I'm hoping a weird book will kind of, I don't know, fit in, I guess. <laughs> I think it totally fits. I, in fact, I was like, you know, when you were almost like jumped in, it was like, I think it's great pandemic reading because it just totally woke me up and was like, it's supposed to go this far. You're supposed to take it this far, if that's, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? I'm like, not, you know what I mean? Like you still, like you could go ahead and I can go, or I, I'm talking to myself, I guess, but like, I feel like we can go ahead and, and read and write, read what we want and consume what we want. But like, I was just so glad and refreshed. There was like, it was like no, it still gets really bracing and really uh, bleak, and like you weren't like, well, you know, too bleak. You know what I mean? Or like, I, it's such a dead end. I think when people ask you, like, well, you know, a lot of these stories are, you know, kind of downbeat. What do you think about that? And then I give you, you know, what I mean, like, it's like, yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, there, like every story is everything if it's really working. I think so. It's like to to kind of peg you as like, oh, it's it's too it's too this or too that. It's like. I wrote down, I was like, it's not even that the stories are good. It's just that they were really like, I was like, wow, they, you can get really painful and people, it's okay. Like, I, I appreciated that. I was like, it's like, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't like hurt too much. You know what I mean? Or it doesn't like, yeah. maybe, maybe it's easy to say though now because I read it in the last couple of weeks and things feel a lot easier to take. So I don't know. I think it came at the perfect time, really. Um, and it'll be cool in five years when it's like, oh yeah, like it, you'll look at the 2020 date and, and the library, every, you must've thought of that, right? Like, I think it's, it's cool to come out with a book this year. Yeah, it's, it's been super weird. And I, I mean, I'm, I'll, I don't think I would ever forget publishing a debut book, no matter what was going on in the world. But I think that it has been like a super kind of strange experience and just trying to navigate like, like, how to send it off into the world in such a weird time that people aren't really even seeing each other. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess it is a dark book. You mentioned that, that it has that feel. And I think that like, I've, I've, I've personally worried about that before. And I've like been, I've asked people like, do you, even just for individual stories, like, do you think this is too dark? And they're like, well, no, like it's, it's not just dark. There's also humor and it's weird. And there's like, so um, yeah. Sometimes I feel like there are certain emotional registers that we think are off limits or we feel should be off limits as writers, but really they're not. Like people feel things and a book lets other people like commiserate <laughs> with you. So um, I wasn't afraid to go there, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I, I mean, I almost didn't want to even call it like, you know, dark bleak. Like I was trying to kind of get those words out of the way because it's super funny. It was cracking me up. It was just that like in the like, I guess bleak to me means something different. This is like, here's my example. And you go along with it. there's a there's a restaurant in the book. Uh, this is giving nothing away. But the name of the restaurant is the Sanders restaurant. Yeah, I found that to be so funny. And it's like no one in our audience will know why naming a restaurant. Maybe they will, but like, if you're already laughing, then I shouldn't overexplain it. But like, just the name of the restaurant being the Sanders restaurant, having it be kind of a bleak place, and like, you know, kind of important stuff goes on, but it's not like a huge plot point. Uh, do you get what I'm saying? Like, that's funny to you, right? Yeah, I mean, I think so. And um, I, I feel like I have kind of a weird sense of humor, anyways. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, th I think that I've never really, 
seen the humor in my work as, as much as other people have, if that makes sense. Like people have come to me and been like, like, I don't, I don't really feel like I'm laughing while I'm writing, but people tell me often that they see humor in my work. And then I, I feel like I found a way to play into it a little bit and, and kind of write towards that um, more, which is nice. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like you almost I have my pet theories about like why that's that happens right like when people you're you're not trying to be there's not a single like one liner in the book, you know, what I mean? there's no jokes, but it's got like these moments where and maybe you've got like I'll preview this because I wanted to like get like a maybe a more thought thought out like talk on it at some point but like any favorite moments you have of the book I'll bet we could point in bleak directions and funny directions and dramatic you know stakes and language like all like you know just surface level things like there were so many points it, every story I think as you said it's got like 30 some odd stories this book some longer some shorter mm -hmm. and every story has got a couple of really like memorable perfect moments that maybe in your stick out in your mind like oh I wrote this it's a great moment you know what I mean like the, hopefully we could talk about those if you have them but the Sanders was one was one um and then like, I think that those are, here, my, my theory is very simple. It's like, I think when you're being very much, like people tune into what you're doing. And then once you do what you do, they're funny and they laugh at you and you're like, I'm not even being funny. And they're like, that's what's so funny, haha. -ha. And you're like, no, but that's just me being me. And it's like, yeah, like we like that because we're buying into your intellectual uh, commodity, whatever you have. And we want to laugh along and be part of the group, right? We want to be like, oh, Becca gets it. I get it, we all get it. And it's like, not even a joke. It's just that like, I get that. The, I was like, so I was like, you get to Sanders restaurant, right? And you're like, again podcast list, podcast listener she's giving me a big thumbs up that yes we totally are on the same page about the sanders restaurant and uh it's like yeah that that's it, there's no joke there but just the fact that it's like we're, we get to nod together about that's being a just a name for a restaurant it's just so so ban banal and banal or whatever but it's like it's so it's such a crappy name for a restaurant but it's like i don't know yeah it's like something like in your in the world of your stories like that's what restaurants get called and it's good sure yeah i mean i think that there's something there can be yeah humor in just like kind of mundane elements to things and but also like for me i think that like i get kind of amused also by just these little premises that that um i don't know maybe they go in kind of a a a dark place but for me the premises are just kind of kind of funny and i don't know like the story that the cover is sort of based around the severed uh timothy severed head it's about a, a guy who gets a severed head as like, like a um a good luck charm almost and for me just like that premise is was not as dark as some other people might find it to me it was kind of light in a way like i wanted to see what i could do with such a such a kind of a unusual thing um so so sometimes that's kind of where like i don't feel ever i don't ever feel grim when i'm writing a story i feel kind of excited by the elements and like seeing seeing what they're doing i don't i don't know if that makes sense did you say you don't ever feel grim not when i'm writing no yeah right no exactly right it's like the writing comes out like part of the uh maybe part of the like like joy of doing it is that you're like this if real would be grim <laughs> but it's clearly me orchestrating it all which is actually quite a farce you know what i mean and so like there's that's like you know i you the author and anyone who's like buying into what you're doing gets to be like ha huh, we're in this farce that is quite grim but it's a book you know put it away it's not that it's not 20 it's not my reality and so like 
the parts that are, are more realistic in the book, they get really like wrenchingly kind of like the kind of moments I wish I could get in, in fiction more often, which you're like, no, this is not like anything on the surface of language. This is because we've invested in a character and now their, their stakes are like, are changing. I want to ask you about those elements too, because you, you do both sides really, I mean, stupid to call them sides, but you do those moments better than I know how to do. And so like, like any secrets or tricks that you want, hacks you want to give your writing audience on how you get like a, re, like, you know, for someone that I, I feel like at home with the shorter, like, fab, you know, parables, fables, maybe next, shorter flash things that are, you know, you can get a lot of effects that, that I, I'm perfectly happy with in those stories. Not you personally, but like a writer can. Um, but then like, I think I always find it tougher to get effects that you get in like uh, the, you know, uh, the, the longer pieces that I think you've talked about in other interviews that are like more realistic. And so how do, how do you see that? Yeah, so um, I feel like, so not all of them, but some of the longer pieces in here, they have like a grain of, truth from you know they're like semi-autobiographical in a way or like they have like a grain of of um something from my life that I kind of let go where it's going to go on the page and I think that for me something that I really consider when I'm writing those longer more realistic pieces is um just like what what's what's the emotional experience of the character and um it's not easy to go in there go there but um I try to keep it really close to just like whatever the emotional headspace is and like honest to that experience and I think that some of my you know when I most of those stories are are actually kind of the older stories in the book they're things that I was writing um this this book took quite a few years <laughs> quite a few years to write and um those longer more realistic stories are from earlier on and I think that it was just for some reason, it came a little natural, more naturally for me than to kind of channel an experience or a, or, or a character that I understood in a more realistic way, um, which, which is maybe a little, in some ways, a little, almost a little braver to do than kind of the other type of stuff. But um, yeah, um, I don't know if I have any tricks, just like trying to really get into a headspace and kind of be truthful to that experience of whatever the character is going through and not shying away from it and also not not overdoing it like I, th I think that sometimes what loses me in a more realistic story is well there could be many things but I guess one of the things is if a, if a, if a plot is just feels a little too forced like it goes too extreme or like the thing the bad thing that the character is going towards manifests in a way that that you know you think that it that it should like sometimes resisting the, the really bad thing to let like the emotional weight kind of be the thing that carries it i don't i don't know if that makes sense at all but um yeah no i i totally like the 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 sort of big x factor of the of the the personal stakes of the per of the made up or even avatar person that's in the story can sometimes colonize everything else yeah yeah, like, so there's one story here, I um, I think it's mentioned in the, the little blurb about the book, where there's a character who's um, doing some nude modeling for to make money to pay for mental health issues. And in that, like, I remember um, workshopping that story at one time and someone being like, well, 
You know, I was expecting that to go really bad for her. I was expecting her to like do modeling for the wrong person and, you know, get herself into some really bad trouble, but that doesn't happen. And like, I kind of think that they're like, well, I'm glad, I'm glad that that didn't happen because it was unexpected that that didn't. So like resisting that, um, that like plot point to let something else happen that's maybe more truthful to the emotions. That's kind of the moment I'm talking about. Like, I, I don't know if you care. Like, the short stories that I think are impossible to ruin by talking about them. But that's was the first one that I thought about. Was like, yeah. and not I wouldn't have. I guess you said it better than me because you've seen it in workshop. But yeah, like, what happens to that character? It's one of like many fantastic endings in the book. But what happens to that character in the story was the first like real heart ripping moment. I mean, not like not like the first, but it's pretty early on. And it's before like you really are like steeped in the book. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, if more stuff happens like this, <laughs> I'm going to have to, you know, take smaller, smaller, smaller bites or something. But I didn't. I read it like this. I know this isn't the compliment that some people think it is, but I read it like like in over a day and a half. And so like I don't mean that to be like, wow, it's so good. I couldn't put it down. It was just like I kind of had to to get through it because I felt like there was I knew there was going to be maybe more of those. And there were. Um, and so, yeah, I thought you were going to say the person at workshop was like, could you make that happen? Like, could you have the... No, the I, the luckily I, was, I was being, I was workshopping with very smart people who yeah. <laughs> didn't try and to put it that way. <laughs> you wouldn't have listened anyway, but yeah. So, so like, that's, I don't know. I think that that's very interesting. And you said, like, you, you mentioned that they're autobiographical. And just because, like, I don't know if um, Maddie mentioned this, but like, uh, you and I know each other from, like, working in the same writing center in, like, the years are probably, like... Like 2000. more than 10 years ago, like yeah. 12, 14 years ago, <laughs> a long time. Right. And so like, yeah. I have a question about this because I'm always, my secret fear is that like, well, the only people that would ever read my book would be people that know me. And the only reason I ever liked the book is because they feel bad for me for having written a book that's about my, my problems. <laughs> and it's not even about my problems, but it's, I mean, like very tangentially, but the same way you're, you know, you're like a wary of having like a problems colonize the whole book or the story or like having a character stakes be like what everyone is supposed to worry about at all times you know like the most you know extreme version of reality that could happen yeah. um that like i i worry that, that that that's that that's happening and then and so like if i like something that's autobiographical i'm like you are the last person that should be judging this you know me and i'm saying to my voice you know to my own voice i'm like voice don't listen to yourself because this is, this is you're the most biased friend of yours so do you ever like does that cross your mind or do you how do you if, if it doesn't you have to tell me how and then if it does like what what goes what like how does it work for you wait so i want to make sure that i'm i'm clear on what you're asking like like how how do i how do you give how do i give myself permission to write in that way or like what like do you worry that that your book, even before it's autobiographical, people are like, well, because since we're writing kind of literary fiction that like nobody reads anyway, the only people are, you know, mainly my audiences are going to be, this is not going to happen in your book, it's going to be a big success. I'm talking for myself. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I was like, mostly we're, our, our audiences are writers and stuff. And so like, and a lot of them are people we know or friends of friends, things like that. And so I'm like, if I write autobiographically, like I might really like that story and it might be a good story, but I can't feel like I judge it because like, I'm just, I have like hyper, I would be judging them, like, you know what I mean? Even a story that I knew no one would take as autobiographical. I'm like, I mean, so it's not I, how much you give permission, but more like, how do you like, how does the, how do those thoughts like happen for you? Do you like have anxiety about that or is it? 
just like you're like oh well this it's my life so of course i can write it. i mean i would like to be able to say it's my yeah. life i'll write about it if i want to and <laughs> but you know but you know whether people like it be damned but it, unfortunately that i have more thoughts than that yeah i mean i guess i think that um a couple things like first i i would say that like I, I don't think that I would ever be really drawn to writing memoir or at least not right now because one thing that I like about fiction and like as a fiction writer you have you put the story first right so it's like not about whatever thing I'm like taking from my life and putting in the story it's more about like okay like this thing that I experienced felt very important for some reason and I know that there's something that I that I think other people should hear or, or, or can take from it. And so I'm going to use that and I'm going to make a story and the story is not necessarily going to be like exactly my life. It's just like the grain. And then um, that to me, like I think a lot more about the story I'm crafting than actually what happened to me in my life. Like when I'm writing based on something from my life. Um, so I'm always thinking about like, what does the story need rather than like what I think that I need to stay true to something that, you know, that happened to me. And I feel, I find that that's to be, that's really freeing and like layering, like a lot of times when I'm writing that fan, I'm just kind of layering things that, that are, that are maybe experiences from like, or little grains from like different parts of my life and kind of putting them together. Like none of these stories are just like cut a chunk out of my life and put, and put it on the page. Um, so I think that that like looking at it like a real art project rather than kind of just like writing my life is really helpful to me. Um, Cause then I get excited while I'm writing it too. Um, and I like sometimes when I'm writing a longer story or, or at least for some of these, I would start writing and then I have ideas. So I'd like bullet point where I thought wanted the story to go and like these little threads and that's not necessarily like true to life. So I think that helps. And I also just think about, some of my favorite writers that I was reading when I was like young and, and, you know, the formative reading experience I had, like a lot of them I know are semi-autobiographical or at least partially, even if like the authors aren't there out there saying it, it just, you just, for some reason, or at least, or either that, or they're just like way better writers than, than uh, like, than anyone I've met but like so I'm, I'm thinking about like Dennis Johnson and Mary Gateskill and like some of their really early stories that feel like they just feel too real to not at least be partially based on experience in some way and I don't know if I'm I could be wrong but you know and and I love those stories so much and I just wouldn't you know I, I think that there's plenty of space in literature for that kind of writing, like writing that's more based on life. And there's plenty of space for writing that's not like that too. So I don't wanna like cut, I, I guess I'd say like, don't cut something off if it feels right. <laughs> like don't, don't tell yourself you can't. <laughs> well, right. it, I feel like that's gonna be something a lot of people are gonna say about the book is like, wow, what a great, you know, unity of, of real and, you know what I mean? Like it's the first line of the, of the did you, I don't know if this is like a dumb question, but you wrote this like weaving together, like, you know what I mean? Like, it seems like that's an important thing. And so, uh, you know, weaving together realism and, and, and uh, fabulous invention. Um, and so like, I was like, okay, well, that's already on the first blurb, so I can't ask questions about that. But like, I'm interested in that. You know what I mean? Like, you know that, right? And so like, I was like, going back to the thing about the writing center, I was like, since I, since I like know you and hearing a little bit, of, like even just like doing the thing that you just said, where like, I sense that this is from your real life and we don't know each other well enough to know even what, I don't know what the stuff refers to, right? Like I treat it, like you said, as an art project, but it's got that aura. 
And I'm like, man, that's really like, just like you said, I'm like, that's really important. And it's gotta be there. And, or, or, or like, I guess, according to you and me, it's gotta be there. Um, and I'm like, well, so um, it's such an, it, for me, it's such an issue. Cause I'm like, I, I'm, I'm like, you mentioned, I think in, in, in like another interview or something, you're like the story that I was gonna like cut was the one that everybody liked. And it was one of the more realistic stories. And you're like, oh, I've kind of soured on that. So I was thinking about that kind of mainly. You were like, you know, if you sour on a story like that, cause it's like, it's like, well, I've sort of lived, I lived it and then I rearranged it and wrote it and made it into a little art project. And now it's the one people are liking most, even though I'm souring on it. Like, well, I, think that, I feel like that's more of a, that says more about my relationship to my current curiosities than it does necessarily about the story. I don't know, because yeah, that's one, there was one story where two people pretty close together said, that's a good story. Um, definitely don't cut that. And that just kind of reminded me that your reader has not experienced it before or, or you know like your reader for your reader it will be fresh <laughs> and it won't be something that you are just kind of not interested in thinking about or um also like i mean my even my my moods change in, about what i'm interested i'm in the mood for reading in general anyway so it could have been too that it was just like not sitting well with me as a reader in that moment <laughs> who knows yeah, like I guess that that moment to moment sort of like vacillation is is more of what I'm even beyond like real fabulous whatever. It's just that like you know the little like indecisions that you get you go through. Like I wanted to like maybe ask a more formal question about that, but it's like, are there any like other than that story that you maybe went back and forth forth about any other like indecision thing like war stories from this book that you're like oh I went back and forth over this one sentence or something or like a scene that gave you trouble, kept you, I mean, you mentioned insomnia too, I asked about that too, but things that are keeping you up at night or keeping that, you know what I mean, like parts of the story that you're like, oh, I can't crack the, should I, should I include this or that? Yeah, um, definitely. Well, so on like a bigger picture thing, for a while when I was putting this together, I was kind of worried, or not worried, but I was wondering if these stories could actually hang together in a collection because, because of the way that we're kind of moving through, um, I don't know perceptions of reality or something like that going from something that looks more like our world to something that maybe doesn't um but then I got some you know you know I thought that it could and when I when I kept kind of reading and ordering I I felt more and more strongly about that it's like no these these, these stories actually hang together really well and they feel like they they need to be in the same book together um but I had some also you know a, a friend of mine say you know what like you need to publish, like, you need to publish the book that you want to pub, like, that is right to publish, <laughs> so just wait, and, and you'll find a way to do that, um, so that was nice to, to remember, right, that, like, um, you get to take risks, and you get to, you get to define what, what, um, is gonna happen between the covers <laughs> of your, of your book, so that was one thing, like, a bigger picture thing, and I guess smaller, yeah, I mean, there's, there's still things that probably there's a couple things that when I was reading just now that I actually edited as I was reading. Um, I, don't, I don't, I don't, I think that's probably pretty common for writers. Um, I guess. So there's one story if I, to take a kind of a more concrete example. Um, so the visiting Sarah, the, um, 
the story that's set in San Diego um, is, a, is one of those more realistic stories. And it has a moment where it goes, it veers off into surrealism slightly. Um, and I wasn't sure if that was the right move or not for that story. Um, it felt right when I was writing it and I just couldn't edit it out. I thought that I needed to leave it there. And I remember, I think it was George Saunders in one of his classes, probably his Russians class. He said something like, something about like those little jewels or those little gems in a story that feel weird there are sometimes the thing that's like most important to the story or makes it really shine. Like, um, so I was like, okay, that's one of those moments where it's just, I'm going to let it, I'm going to let it stay there and just let it like communicate with the rest of the story in whatever strange way it's going to communicate. Yeah. Yeah. It gives nothing away, but it gives a little, a little more away, I guess, but nothing away to say. It's like a character that has, that's been living in a kind of very mundane, like no, no frills, no magic type world that suddenly has like a vision and it's toward the end. And like, you know what I mean? That, that, I thought, I mean, like that, that, that's the kind of stuff that sells me. Like I have an easier time on myself and with other writers when they're doing stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, this is, you're really, you're really writing something if you, if you found that, you know what I mean? Because it became like, just like you said, it was, it, it wouldn't have, yeah. like if you had faked it, you would have, it would have soured on the vine pretty quickly and you would have taken it out. Right. And so like, you're like, no, this is after a thousand reads, I'm still, I'm still into this moment, even though it stands out and it's conspicuous. Like, I love that kind of thing because it's like, you know, that it, it would be, like, it's like I, I mean I guess we're all just quoting Saunders, but it's like it's like it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a story if it didn't have like it, it, this like like if you couldn't like find a little nook and cranny in it that's like aha but then there's the part where it just totally shifts and breaks its own rules you know so like I feel like I, I like I'm I'm very into the way you're writing um, seems to like you seem to have those everywhere like I feel like there's there's moments like that uh, like I, I became part of the reason why I read it so quickly I think is I'm like oh there'll be another one real soon you know what I mean? like, it was almost like if a writer were to take all their like inspired turns of phrase and little like insightful moments and like to collect that for 10 years and then make a piece of technology that was like only the best of that you know what I mean so it's like only the most insightful things about how a, a plane ride could go or only the most, I, I finished the book and I walk around reading it, I was having insights on everything. I was just like, oh, this is, you know, this is what I would, this is what I would, if I were really thinking about my desk and the candle here, be like, this would be, this is what Becca knows about it. You know what I mean? So <laughs> that's really that's, interesting. It was great. I mean, I think that that's, um, I wrote about a little bit in the, in the, uh, there's a, I did a promotional, uh, you know, write up kind of, poem for brand about this i just and, thought it's amazing oh it's, well yeah take i mean you know i don't want to like talk about that too much but it was like i, I mentioned that that was like you, you know i i wish there were oh, what am i trying to say see i lost my own train of thought there like i i i love moments like that and i think you were able to find them all over the place and it'll come back to me in a minute so i'm gonna let you talk yeah well that's just so for that yeah so we we're talking about like letting those moments live on the page and and not cutting them and i think that part of it is just having someone when you're young tell you that those are good and not bad and, and not kind of um chopping the i don't know the the weird anomalies out of your writing for you know not sacrificing that for like something a little bit more fluid and maybe pa like um recognizable 
Um, but I think those are also the moments that feel most charged when I write them in some ways. Um, and they feel a little bit more risky. And sometimes that risk doesn't pay off and those stories go into the folder on your desktop labeled the crypt and you never look at it again, but sometimes they pay off and it's like, leave them there. Don't, don't try to change it if you feel it. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, but, but they're, and they're the toughest things to talk about. You know what I mean? Like, what, this is what I was thinking about before, like in prep for the podcast and the interview, I'm like, well, if I just write down all those moments and we just go over them all, that'd be a great interview because then readers will get to see how many great moments there are. But A, it wouldn't work because they wouldn't be in context, right? And so like, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're probably only great because of the scaffolding, like the other greats, like, you know what I mean? It's like a puzzle, right? Like you put all those moments together so that they stand together. But then I, like, I get to the end of the book and I'm like, oh, I just I would love to, like the insight thing and the, like the urge to tell other people about how great it was. I find that that's like, that's the thing that really bugs me about like the maybe pandemic reading or reading in general is because I'm like, all right, now I need to tell the world that Becca wrote a great book. And like, you know, if you really only read one book, you will be, you'll be fine if it's this one. Uh, <laughs> that's literally the most, that's the literally the thing people say in you know trailers where it's like okay just one this year you know what I mean like I can't it's very hard to like quant like the book is already trying to like drastically compress and weirdly quantify like very numinous phenomenon right like it's got all these sort of like you know it's like oh yeah you, this elusive stuff of life I got it in every sentence but <laughs> but then but then like you read the book and you're like wow that was happening the entire book now I put it down and now my it's like not that's like you mentioned this in another thing you're like the cause and effect of everyday life or the fact that we don't go around having numinous shit happen constantly it only happens like sometimes is like very at odds with what we want from fiction right like not not like in like you mentioned like we we would you know a lot of times people want the the, the kind of escapist stuff I'm like oh this gave me a big you know narrative arc um or like in in your case or in like you know maybe like a kind of a different place on the spectrum oh, this gave me like uh, these, you know, distilled moments of language and, and insight and things like that. But then like, I'm interested in hearing more of your theories on like, well, you know, you alluded to like, well, I've got some theories about how fiction ought to deal with that or like, you know, what we ought to be doing with a story or what's, what's really truthful about how cause and effect work or what we should be asking. And it's not like you were still kind of working it out. So if it's if something you're still thinking about, I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. That's a big question. I, I don't know. I think that, um, well, I think maybe what I had mentioned once was this sort of idea of like, for, for me, it often feels like, like, I think there, are, there's less mundanity in everyday life than we think sometimes. Like, it's easy to not look I don't know, to not look for, to not see the weirdness of everyday life. But to me, it's quite weird. <laughs> and um, I mean, just the fact that we go to bed and for like six to eight hours a night, we are, that's a big chunk of time. That's like a third of our life. We're like in a whole nother world where we're having these weird experiences in our lives. And then we wake up and it's just like, the world again the way that we see it like i don't know i think that the world is very strange and i think that it's difficult to know cause and effect in a in just a lot of experiences in life and so i think that that kind of gets pushed into my fiction a little bit and um but it's not i don't know like that's a that's a lot that's very out there but also just like 
finding a fun story to tell it in. And, and I, I don't want to, I don't want to feel, I don't want to sound like what we've been calling like a more escapist literature or TV or something. Cause there's definitely something important about just a good, you know, a good story, being able to like leave your world and like get into some other worlds. So um, hopefully these, these are doing that a little bit too. But uh, yeah, I just, I mean, I think the, I think the world is weird. I think being a human being is pretty weird and fucked up and um why not let that be into in your writing a little bit I don't know yeah that makes perfect sense I was gonna say that that sounds like what the, the you know it was gonna bring me to the title that you mentioned uh if it's so weird all the time and it, we're so sensitized to it like I walk out of your book sensitized to everything and it's like I gotta be attentive to this and attentive to that and having insights is that the trouble with language is it gets so unbearable that like some of your characters are like don't know where to put it all or I don't know it's the end of the interview so you don't have to answer but uh it seemed like like I wanted to ask you about the title because I was very interested I felt like it falls in the book it falls at the perfect moment where I'm like I've been wondering like when is she gonna pick up that title and then it's like it happens as the title of a short story and it's great um I don't know if we have time for it but uh that's what I that's what's on my mind uh trouble with language um yeah so I don't know why that stuck well I think part of the reason why that stuck as a title for me is that it's very, I think a lot of what happens in this book are, are characters trying to communicate their, you know, their perceptions of the world. And I think that's a very difficult thing to do, like to, to honestly communicate with someone else what's inside your head. And I mean, for many reasons, right? Partially because we can't just be doing that all, like, all the time because we need to be like humans in a functioning society which requires a lot of veils and, and um things like that but also it's just i think there's more nuance to people than language often allows um i don't know and it's just it's a kind of a difficult challenge <laughs> i don't i don't know if that makes sense at all did you just sign that yeah let's let the record show that you signed the difficulty Wait, was that difficulty? That I don't was... know. That's why I asked you. Oh no, I was just doing that because it felt. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, good. We figured it out. Um, Becca, so awesome to talk to you. Um, like I like I said, I love the book. I think uh, um, you said all the things I was hoping to. Like I don't know. I wish if we had another hour, I'm sure we could talk about it. But uh, talk more. But Maddie's here. Um, I'm so glad you loved it. That means a lot to me. That's great. It's great. I think it's gonna, people are, everyone loves it. Look at the, the blurbs are like hanging off the side. <laughs> uh, thank you guys. And John, you were, you did a great job. This is your first interview. I don't believe you. I didn't say it's, it's, it's been smart for people to for refrain from interviewing me or granting me interviews. I just said, I've never done it. I just, I don't understand why. I, it's kind of a little bit of a, I have a little bit of a, a chip on my shoulder. I'm glad we got to do it. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't, have, couldn't have been a couldn't have been a cooler venue um skylight books is awesome and this is the perfect book to talk about oh i'm blushing if it's 2021 <laughs> this is going to happen in 20 this is the first day of 2021 as we all know and so i'm glad to be ringing the new year this way yes ew. <laughs> did you say ew i said me too oh. <laughs> what you wrote it yes. ew. why am i no. doing okay <laughs> I was uh, just all I hoped for it was going into this was like just don't cause her to say you. <laughs> um, 
All right, guys. Well, before we say our goodbyes, which I'm reluctant to do because I have really enjoyed this conversation, um, is there anything else you want to talk about or any last questions you have that you didn't get to you want to squeeze in at the end here? I would ask you, what do you, did you want to be asked? We went said at the beginning, you're, you're an interviewer, you have a background in journalism. Take it, ask yourself something. Um, I, I don't know. I can't even, I can't, I can't answer that. But could I ask you a question? Sure. That, is that okay? <laughs> so can you talk a little bit about Poems for Brands and how you came up with this amazing concept? Oh, okay. So Poems for Brands, just to start it off, you should go over and read my poem about this book. I wrote a poem for Becca's brand because it's a great brand and it, it's, you know, she's been working on it her whole life. And I think that brand, like a, brands are sort of, you know, they, they would brand cows when they were owned by something. And it's like, a, a, it, there's not enough poems written about brands. And so I was uh, kicked off my son's youth hockey team. And I was feeling really low about it. It was our favorite thing to do. And uh, there were some words exchanged between me and the other coaches and I was not allowed, wasn't allowed to coach. And so I needed to do something with my time and I was feeling pretty upset. And we watched the Super Bowl together and we watched all the the big uh, ads. And I was like, you know, I have a background in advertising. And I was like, I should write poems for brands because uh, I would have a great, that would be, that would be great. You know what I mean? There's not, that doesn't exist yet. And so I've been writing poems for, I started, I wrote for like Dannon Yogurt. I did one for uh, Bic Lighters. And, uh, and I realized that on Instagram, it's on Instagram, it's an Instagram account. I was like, I should write a poem for every brand on here. Cause it's like millions. I've never run out. I've run out. Of, sometimes I have trouble starting a writing project, but if I was like, all right, Dannon yogurt, that's what they would do for us in advertising. They'd be like Chiquita banana go. And we'd do a hundred headlines on that. Uh, and so I could write poems for brands forever. And I probably, uh, you know, it'll be a sort of dread pirate Roberts thing when I'm done with, like when I have, have to retire, I'll give it to somebody else and we'll just write poems about all the brands on Instagram that exist. As long as there's an Instagram, there'll be poems for brands. And so go follow it. Uh, it's got like video art. And, uh, and so it, it, like at first I would be using the hashtag, like I realized you could use hashtags as like a way of getting the account to grow. And I didn't tell like you or any of our friends about it. And it grew for a while and I got like people. And then when I was like, all right, well, I should tell, you know, someone at Syracuse about it. I should tell a friend. Uh, then like the, the, the algorithm figured me out and it stopped growing. And uh, all the hashtags like actually labeled me a spam. And so like uh, it, it totally backfired. And now I'm just completely doing it as like, you know, it's got like less than a thousand followers, a very small account. But um, I'm glad you asked because it's like a, I think, I don't know, it's like my favorite thing I've ever written. And I don't, almost like don't want to write books anymore because of it. I, I think it's very fun that what you write on there is so artful and, and nice. It's just like a treat to get that in my Instagram feed, so. Oh, that's awesome. I'm, listen, so many people don't think that. And so I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you said it. It's only, it's, you know, it, it means anytime, honestly, like I'm weirdly upset. I'm not like a social media person except for that. And I've become obsessive about like who supports me on there. And, you, and so you do it and it's very cool. Every single time, like, because like sometimes, you know, this is sounds terrible, but certain people's opinions I don't care about. And, uh, and but like, if you, if, if I say, oh, Becca, Becca's here, she's, her opinion matters. So it's always cool. All right, guys, go follow Palms for Brands on Instagram. <laughs> uh, John, do you have any corporate sponsors yet? I'm just curious if you're oh, yeah. listening to the podcast right now, looking for a poet. Well, that was the thing. I mean, I've been in touch with uh, 
Jack Link's beef jerky. I've had talks with uh, a couple of really high-end uh, porn brands about adaptations that they could do. It's just never, nothing's really materialized yet. But it's at any moment, like at any moment, someone could be like, well, my brand needs a poem and my brand is Toyota. And so we'll, we really need a poet to help us. At some point, every brand will realize it. They, like the poet. It's how it used to be too. Every brand would have a jingle, right? Like there would be jingle writers who would write a song for the brand. It's like, or for you, like, you know, if you're sitting there as a writer and you're like, I can't, this is how I felt. I was a writer and I was like, no one's ever gonna read my books anyway. Because, and people would tell you, well, you gotta get, you know, you gotta get out there, you gotta get yourself out there. And I was like, I, I don't care. I didn't want to ever really be out there in any way, except if I could control every last complete detail of that presence. And so it's uh, been a nice loophole for that because nobody reads it. And so like you can be, you know, there's like a freedom to it. And then it's also like, I don't know. I feel like it's, it's got the spiteful Sanders restaurant energy. You know what I mean? Like some, that, that, that's spiteful, but like, I find that to, like something, the, the reason I find that Sanders restaurant so funny is that it's like, yeah, fuck you. The word Sanders, fuck you. Restaurants in general, fuck them too. And it's got like a, it's got like, that's how I feel about it. I feel that's how I felt after the hockey incident and then all through the Trump years. So I'll, maybe I'll wind it down at some point if we have like, if we, if the country like improves to an acceptable level, I'll probably stop writing it. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> all right, brands. Well, if you're listening, get it on the ground floor. Skylight Books is the before it gets huge. On you know, there's nothing like the Skylight Books experience. And now that I know more about it, you know, maybe you'd be in line. When I fit into the story, there's an ongoing story arc too. It's like an ongoing novel as well. It's like my trials and tribulations is a is me. So it's in there. They're talking about some autobiographical shit, like my medical bills, really, really detailed. Wow. Well, I hope we get featured someday soon. <laughs> me too. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, Rebecca, anything else you wanted to say before we go? No, just thank you so much for having us. This has been so much fun. And um, I hope that people out there enjoy the book. Yeah, check it out. out the the language. Make sure that's not... Make, no oh, problem. yes, I will cut that out. For you. <laughs> thing. If people think that I misspoke, uh, I don't think I'll ever recover from that. So. <laughs> All right, you got it. All right, guys. Well, let's say our goodbyes. Um, thank you again, Rebecca and John. It's been a pleasure. Listeners, thank you for listening. We love you. We cherish you. 2021, baby. It's going to be a great year. All right. Catch you on the flip side. Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon. I see.